Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Talk Diplomacy podcast. My name is Ishan Vasaredi, and here with me is Jacob Houston. Uh, hello, guys. Um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, the issues and the current developments uh, with North Korea and missile testing. And just to start off um, with a you know minor disclaimer, uh, we're going to be talking about some controversial issues and uh, it may be this discussion may be uh, opinionated. So just pushing that disclaimer up first. Um, but to start, uh, you know, since September, uh, after really a real six month hiatus, um, North Korea really started a new round of testing of their new, uh, I guess what they say are ICBMs, which are intercontinental ballistic missiles. And those missiles can hold nuclear weapons, which are very dangerous. Um, but it's also been kind of said that maybe, maybe these claims of having these types of dangerous missiles are fake. Because, I mean, you have North Korea, very isolated society. You have people being impoverished, all this type of stuff. Um, and maybe they're importing different weapons from countries like China or maybe Russia. Um, and just recently they launched an ICBM or they claim that they launched an ICBM. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you take a look at that in the history of North Korea's missile testing, they've really, really put a real emphasis on nuclear weapons. Um, and you can even see it, see like, uh, with their, with a missile that they fired over Japan a couple of years ago, um, they claimed it was nuclear capable, which is very dangerous because, you know, if, 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 it, if, if, you know, if there's an ever really an attack on, you know, if you take South Korea or Japan, that would mean a real U.S. entry into the Pacific once again, uh, you know, since all the way back from World War II and the Korean War. So it's a very dangerous. Ishan, um, do you want to build on that? Yeah, so like these developments are quite alarming. I've I actually wonder how people thought of this back in, I think, 2012. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Like, I think when they first got nuclear weapons, right? Yeah, I think it may have been 2012. I'm not sure. Something like that. It was like, I think it was early into Kim Jong-un's reign. And yeah. I'm just wondering how people felt at that time that this crazy, I guess they would have viewed crazy, a fringe authoritarian shoot-off state of Korea created nuclear weapons by itself, which I think, I'm pretty sure it should have had some help with China and Russia because exactly. I don't think it can do that by itself. It's just not possible. I mean, yeah. even Pakistan could not do that by itself. Yeah. It I needed mean, China. Yeah. So then again, it's kind of outrageous that China is like arming these states. I just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand how that is strategically viable for China to do that. So maybe it was Russia because like, look, if I know Xi Jinping has said before that Korea is a historical part of China, which is fallacious in its entirety, even more fallacious than Putin saying Ukraine is Russia. But um, because the two groups are barely even related, to be honest, rather than like cross Yeah, exactly. Um, but now they have this crazy authoritarian 
state and an authoritarian guy with nuclear weapon buttons on his desk that he could use against them. I mean, I don't know what situation would prompt that, but you never yeah. know. So, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like like you said, Ishan, um, I think the first nuclear, nuclear weapon test by North Korea was in, from what I'm seeing here, 2006. Um, and their first thermonuclear weapon test was in 2017. And right. they really, I mean, they, 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 they continue to launch stuff. And like you said, I mean, if you look at North Korea as a country, just overall, in general, I really don't think that they could have done this by themselves. There's, there's, I mean, there's probably like a 1% chance that they could have, but still, it's, it's very unlikely that they did this by themselves which like you said may, may i would been, personally say like impossible yeah i mean I, you know like you said maybe china maybe supplied them with stuff but like you said even it's not really strategic for china to do this now china's supported north korea in the past i mean even in, in the uh, korean war back in the 50s i mean without china's real entry into the war the un coalition would have basically taken over all of what is now uh, North Korea, and there really wouldn't be a North Korea or South Korea, just an, well, a whole yeah. United Korea. Then and, again, they said they were encroaching upon them. Encroaching upon, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's a, it may be a little bit viable considering China at the time just literally got out of a civil war that ended in 19. I personally believe it was a pre-planned maneuver that they intended to do from the beginning that they just waited to have a good excuse i mean and i also think you know with the soviet even with the soviet union because if you take a look at the soviet union they invaded manchuria at the end of the basically yes a couple of months before the maybe i don't even know it, it was basically before the war ended and it was after germany was defeated and they literally invaded that whole area which um, if you guys don't know where Manchuria is, it's around that uh, north-eastern uh, part of China, um, around Harbin in Changchun. And, in uh, fact, it was not Chinese until they kind of got yeah, it to an Manchuria, Manchuria, to be honest, um, it really has a history with China. I mean, you have Manchurians ruling does, China. Which is funny because it was actually them ruling China. Yeah, I mean, they ruled China during the Qing dynasty. And I'm yeah. pretty sure, you know, you have those, uh, you know, the cues. They made Han Chinese men wear cues. Um, and even, uh, you know, when the Japanese invaded Manchuria, they put the last emperor of China, Puyi, into power in Manchuria, which at the time they the Japanese called Manchukuo. And when the Russians invaded, they didn't stop with Manchuria. They invaded North Korea. Well, what is now North Korea? And, you know, they put, uh, you know, Kim Il-sung in power. And Kim Il-sung at the time, you know, was an anti-Japanese guerrilla warfare fighter. And he had received some minor support from the United States. I mean, because at at the time, I mean, if you take a whole look at Asia at the time, the U.S. supported some people that at the, it, later on would become some major enemies, like you saw Ho Chi Minh. Um, you know, the U.S. had supported him during the war. Um, and even a little bit after the war, they supported Ho Chi Minh. 
You Isn't know, the same so, thing to Saddam Hussein later? Exactly. Against Iran. Saddam Hussein. You know, oh, even... we did t- indirectly did that to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Yes. Which I would say is, is uh, difficult to explain because we just did it wrong. And then Pakistan funded their own part of it, which yeah. then evolved into the Taliban. Honestly, I don't. I wouldn't call that such a bad move because the resistance actually also developed out of them. So, yeah, I don't know I what just, to say about that. But at least it's Saddam Hussein that was like. Yeah, Saddam Hussein yeah. was there. Yeah, that that that's really a good recent example of how some of that stuff kind of backfired. I mean, if you, I mean, now you you look you look at Vietnam, very violent war. U.S. supported Ho Chi Minh against the Japanese. And in this particular situation with Korea, the U.S. supported Kim Il-sung against the Japanese. Then you have the Korean War that started because now you have the, con- the you know, pro-communists, North Koreans invading the pro-democratic, pro-capitalist South Korean state. They invaded it. Um, and then you have the U.N. coalition coming in under General Douglas MacArthur, who was a veteran. Yeah of the World War II uh, campaign against Japan. Um, And he basically... He wanted to nuke, actually, fun fact, he wanted to nuke Nigeria to make a nuclear wasteland at the border of Korea so that they couldn't even cross in. Exactly. he He literally, straight up, this man ordered 40 nuclear weapons from the government. And that's literally why Truman basically relieved him of his duty because that... (laughs) <laughs> that kind of that was a that kind of went off the rails still there. too consumed from rage yeah i mean i would i mean of course it's kind of understandable if you're angry because the chinese intervene when you're very very close to victory um, yeah, that guy was just like, oh my god yeah he he, 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 he 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 took it very into a destructive pathway and that's totally wrong um to be honest this guy was just una reverse carded by the world. So, totally. so he, he can't really <laughs> say that it was not understandable, but that was still it's, a little but ridiculous. Still, it's a little, little kind of crazy. I mean, you know, let's not mention that there were so many people there, and you could also just is he gonna nuke the water next to it as well? <laughs> I mean, uh, literally. Um, but yeah. You know, the Chinese basically pushed the UN forces back um, to where you have, and, the, and then they had a treaty and you had the demilitarized zone, which even now is heavily defended by both sides. I mean, in, you know, any such incursion runs the risk of another war. Um, and very much so, you know, after, after the war, North Korea became isolated. Because they were like no Western stuff at all, no capitalist anything, and they were really supported by Mao's um, government um, in China. There's the ridiculousness about this war: the North was so close to winning, then the South was so close to winning, then China was close to winning, and then they just stopped. Yeah, it just it just stopped, and right now it it's because they got yeah. a weird stalemate. Yeah, and it kind of just. That the, the whole war, even it's really overshadowed by stuff like Vietnam and stuff, but it's very important to understanding a lot of the whole dynamic of post World War II Asia. I mean, 
And even, even now, you know, if you take North Korea, which, as I said before, isolated state really doesn't really import a lot of technology. The only thing that they really do is usually import stuff from China. Um, and really, to be honest, um, from an I, from an ideal, um, you know, ideology sta- standpoint, North Korea is what I think China would have turned into, really, if it was, uh, if it still had that malice, the, the real malice what ideology. Was like, and they're like, whatever, whoever he was more yeah. in tune to giving over control to. If they had gotten in control, I honestly believe it would have become a gigantic North Korea and then eventually Yes, yes. and the only reason why, I mean, in my point of view, you had Deng Xiaoping come up and he was very, very into technology and, you know, at least opening up a little bit to the West. And that ended up so helping China. And now it's the second biggest economy in the world. And it's literally about to surpass the U.S. in just a couple of years. And it's not even fully capitalist. Exactly. So really, if you take a look at it, it's basically what would have, North Korea is what would have happened to China if they kept going down. Which Mouth I think road. didn't happen because they understood you can't really lie to that many people and sustain exactly. that population mm-hmm. with any worthwhile economic size. Yeah, it just... Yeah, it just really, I mean, and if you take a look at Kim Il-sung's ideology, I mean, you had him being in power. I mean, he even sent assassination teams to go kill South Korean governmental officials. I mean, they even tried to assassinate the South Korean president. I mean, that's pretty far-fetched, but at the same time, I mean, Honestly, if you go even further back and just let's say the, that the U.S. Inter- actually intervened, in the Chinese Civil War, I think it could have become like a North-South split China. And China would basically become the North Korea. North Korea. Yeah, North, I guess they call it North Because you see, capitalism already was too rooted. Because see, the nationalist government, they lost so much that China didn't even consider them to be like a competitor. They are just like, you're a rogue province. Yeah. And... To be honest, I mean, even if you go even further back, I mean, taking the uh, even the first, you know, Japanese Japanese war. Take that Korea. United, Mm -hmm. but also a vassal state to China, which in terms of Korea's history. Well, more of a tributary state, but it was it was it was really I mean, it's it was tributary and also kind of vassal. In the way that yeah, you know, like, like I mean, sovereignty, sovereignty at that time in these areas and that type of relationship is extremely difficult to determine. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, you know, if you take a look at the engine war between Korea and Japan, and then you had China come into the war a little later, and you could really see some really a real buildup to what would happen with the climax, which was the first Sino-Japanese war where the Japanese uh, literally uh, destroyed, basically the, it basically put China on a real back foot with their military uh, power and their potential. I mean, if you could see that during the opium wars, I mean, 
that was the result of China's isolation, isolation for hundreds of years. And then you had Japan, who basically was forced out of isolation by the Americans. And the first thing they do is, okay, we looking at, we're looking at, of it at least. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we're looking at some expansion here, you know, trying to turn into basically a European Asian state, sort of. Um, but, but it's still Asian, which makes it still overpowered Asian. because it's not like it really, unnaturally randomly developed. They just looked at everyone else and was like, let's organize they do that thing. Yeah, we're, we're going to do that, but we're going to do that in Asia, boys. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, you see, you see how that fell apart. You saw how that whole thing fell apart during World War II. Oh, I mean, of course, you had you had them invading China, which in the large scale of things wasn't a very good idea because you're kind of wasting resources. I mean, China basically became Japan's. I Vietnam. honestly think that that maybe if they did that better, it could have worked. They just they used bad attack plans. They just didn't do it right. They just and, and, and yeah, and they just basically tried to almost scare the Chinese in submission. You know, you had the Nanjing massacre. Oh god. I mean, literally, I mean, even the Nazis were horrified. I mean, you had the uh which is funny because they shouldn't even be talking. Exactly. Exactly. Because at that time you had the Holocaust going on. Maybe they just um, thought the Japanese army was too innocent to do that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which and the thing is even now it's ironic because these guys are charging at tanks with swords. Exactly. So, and even and now, winning. yeah. I mean, even now you take Japan now and they they still, I mean, deny that that event ever happened. Um, but I mean, it was pretty international because the whole world got to see, I mean, what the Japanese did. Um, I mean, you had the whole, uh, what's the river called? You had the, uh, uh, the, 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 the whole Yangtze River near uh, uh, Nanjing basically uh, covered in blood. I mean, it was red. Um, so very violent and bloody. Um, but yeah, back to Korea. I mean, you had that happen. Japan was in control of Korea. Annexed Korea, okay? Basically, Korea became part of the Japanese empire. And yes. that really put even more instance on, you have Kim Il-sung coming up, basically saying, we don't want any more Japanese in Korea at all. They did all this, this, and this, which, of course, that's viable. Because Japanese, you know, you know, thinking with that superiority complex that they were better than all other Asians, just like how the Nazis thought they were better than literally everybody else. Well, I mean, else. particularly East Asians. Particularly East Asians. Particularly East Asians. I mean... I mean, Southeast Asians and South Asians, they actually viewed them on an equal footage, especially for some reason, India, they just considered it to be like another... Yeah. Like, in that part of Asia, they were like, these guys are... Guys. Yeah, I mean, even when they tried to, I mean, they even drafted a plan, I mean, to literally invade India. Like, yes, they did, they, which was after, funny because yeah. it was actually not so much of an invasion as they were getting so much local assistance. Like, the, the region was literally on the brink of a massive revolution in favor of Japan to yeah. create an like independence. Exactly. State. 
Yeah, and I mean, if you take a look at Myanmar, which it's they, they, yeah, I mean, they invaded. And That's because Japan out. was able to put their foot in there, in that region. Exactly. Whereas the British Indian Army, un- influenced by the British lie that they would grant a united independence, which they did not do, considering yep. they're, it's not one country. Um, they had so right. many numbers that they were able to fight back. So really... Yeah. It was Japan was defeated there by a lie. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at even Thailand, for example, Thailand basically allied itself with Japan during the war because, I mean, you had they, they ended up when, when, when Japan, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, um, and Japan basically declared war on the United States, the United States declared war on Japan, the whole shebang, you had Thailand declare war on the United States and Britain, which, I mean, the, the United States and Britain basically didn't recognize that declaration because at the time, Thailand had basically asked for Churchill's help, basically saying, okay, if Japan ever invades us, you're going to help us, right? And, of course, Churchill's like, I mean, sir, like, I guess, but we, we're kind of more focused, focused on Europe right now because we have our hands full with the Germans. I mean, then I guess they were like, you know, I'm not entirely sure if they'll actually help us. So how yeah. about we just join Japan? We just joined. Which is Japan. more guaranteed. Yeah. And Japan basically was like, okay, fine. They basically basically controlled that entire region of Southeast Asia. I mean, they invaded Bur- uh, what was then called Burma, British yeah. Burma. And they invaded basically that whole, they, they basically controlled Southeast Asia. And they were like that, like um, even like Ishan said, they're going to get help from, you know, the Indians. Uh, which they uh, did which, actually have a mass revolt planned out, which didn't yeah. happen because of, you know, and more local they opposition. This, they had this crazy plan that they were going to rendezvous with German forces coming out of North Africa. Wait, actually? Yeah, they literally were. Oh they God. literally had a freaking plan to literally rendezvous with him. I mean, of course that Wait, never where, where where were they even planning to do that? I don't know. Central Asia, I think. I'm not sure. What? It literally was crazy. Absurd. They that literally were absurd. thinking about taking over India, right? And which includes Pakistan at the time, uh, and which at the time was called the British Raj. Um, and then they and were going to take it, it over gonna, is like, again, a debatable term because they were going to really going to take over, but they were just going to let's just take say, control away from the British into allied control. Country. Yeah. So they're going to control that. And then they were going to basically take over most of the, you know, that you have the Middle Eastern region, Iran. And then they were going to rendezvous with, I guess, a branch of Rommel's force in North Africa. And, and basically I think, a real, uh, I had to look again, but around that Central Asian region around Iran and uh, Afghanistan. Um, but really, that was kind of a far fetched plan, anyways. Because Rommel that is the was most having... ridiculous thing I've That's actually what I'm ever saying. heard. I've, I've, me playing Hearts of Iron Fourth Japan is more used, like, realistic than this. Like, okay, here is what I would have done if I was Japan. Like, this is realistically, I would have finished off China faster. What Japan did wrong was they tried to invade Southeast Asia too fast. They weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to wait until the Europeans had their hands tied more 
until they attacked, which yeah. they didn't do, and they just wasted unnecessary resources just occupying territory that they can't securely hold. I would have instead actually joined Ger- Germany's invasion against the USSR, and that would have mm-hmm. caused them both to win there, weakening the Europeans even more so that then they can attack Southeast Asia. I would have rendezvoused with Germany in the Euros. Yeah. And I mean, if you take a look at it, you even had the Yanagi missions where you had basically German U-boats going into, into the Pacific trying to disrupt, I mean, trade routes. Um, basically around that, um, even, uh, you know, you had the Timor Sea and the Coral Sea. There were German U-boats all through that area, sinking mm-hmm. Allied warships. I mean, and it really also, it kind of helped Japan with, I mean, you had naval battles. I mean, you even had, uh, you know, even e- even a plan for the, I mean, Germans to help in the Battle of the Coral Sea. Now, of course, that battle ended up in a, st- not a stalemate, but it was like a majorly a, st- a strategic victory for the U.S., but a tactical victory for the Japanese. Um, uh, but pretty much after Midway, Japan was kind of like, we kind of lost our ambitions to really ever really rendezvous with the Germans. I mean, you had Germany basically having to basically pull out of North Africa because... Rendezvous with them in the club of destroyed countries. Yeah. And you you basically had Rommel getting defeated. Um, and basically at the time, I don't really think Hitler really had a real... He he was he basically was not focused on North Africa at all. The only reason he was really going to do anything in North Africa was to support Italy in the first. And I see that was Italy's job, which they and really it was Italy's job, which they literally, like you said, sucked at. They 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 totally just messed it all up. And it was really just a waste. It was a waste. It was just literally a waste of energy because guess what? Italy wanted to get on the victory bus with Germany and Japan. It didn't even get that distract that much attention from French and Britain. The French. Yeah, and I mean, of course, the only reason why the why the British and the French got into got involved with North Africa was, of course, I mean, well, the French under you know you had French resistance groups because at the time France was controlled by Germany because Germany took over France, but really. The Italians are going to basically disrupt a lot of Mediterranean trade routes and even into uh, Egypt and other your uh, your uh, British colonies in North Africa. And like I said, if they were able to disrupt uh, uh, some uh, their British trade routes, especially the Suez Canal, that would have been a major blow to the British war effort because they're not going to be able to get a lot many supplies from that area around Asia. They're not going to be able to move their fleets as quickly um, to protect even their colonies over in Asia, specifically uh, what is now India and what is now Myanmar. Um, I mean, they basically abandoned Burma. They were just like, okay, but no, we're not. Exactly. I mean, they, they, they defended Burma, but it was really to the point where they were like, we've already got our hands full. I mean, we've literally got to protect in our my opinion, that was places. dumb because the territory was very defensive. Yeah, I mean, they basically at the time were like, we just have to protect our island because the Germans are they're 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 they're, they're coming, and 
they're really not playing anymore because I mean, we were having bombing, you know, German bombers flying over London 24 seven. Uh, and then you had the United States supplying the UK with what, you know, with uh, supplies and stuff like that. And really, you know, it was kind of to the point where the United States was kind of at the same point, you know, where they're like, uh, at the beginning of World War One, where they're like, nah, I don't really think we're going to get involved with that type of stuff, you know, not, not, not something that we really want to do. And of course, you know how that turns out. But finally, back to Korea, um, because we were about to go on a whole thing there. Um, taking a look at just what's happening now with their most recent missile test, um, I honestly do not believe they could have done that themselves. I, I, I really don't. I, I, I really don't. They, they must have imported it from somewhere. If they did do it themselves, which I, I'm saying is highly unlikely, that would be a pretty amazing feat that they've had in a long, long time. Um, it's It's... It, I really do not believe they could have done it by themselves. Um, even like you said, Ishan, um, it's pretty close to impossible. Um, now, there's still a probability that they could have done it, but it's very, very low. I mean, if you take a look at, I mean, their tests, I mean, even with them talking about how they fired a hypersonic missile, blah, blah, blah. At this point, the United States won't, be, won't have a hypersonic missile until 2023. They have a hypersonic missile program, but they don't actually have the missile. I find that crazy considering the fact that India produced it from 2011. This is a country <laughs> generally laughed at as being ridiculously dysfunctional than it yep. should be. Exactly. And to be honest, I think, and, 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 and even taking a look at the hypersonic missile, you got everybody talks about how powerful aircraft carriers are. And yes, they are very powerful. Having a mobile air group is very dangerous. And really, they also are great with shows of force. I mean, if you take a look at, at the beginning of World War II, I like to compare some things um, with battleships um, being phased out by aircraft carriers. Battleships are vulnerable to air attacks. Now, carriers are vulnerable to missiles, which... I mean, if you take a look what at missile cruisers, it's just, it's just really, at the time, there's nothing really a carrier can do against a missile. They're faster, much more powerful. And I mean, you can develop even faster anti-aircraft. You I can mean, develop even faster anti-aircraft, but at the same time, people can develop even faster missiles. It's, it's kind of a this and that, like a tennis match. But at this time, with the U.S. basically kind of being like, you know what, we're going to have a hypersonic missile program, but we're not actually going to develop the missile until 2023. You're basically giving, if, if from a strategic standpoint, the United States is basically giving leeway for China and, you know, other nations. I mean, even if North Korea did have the missile, which I don't believe they do, even though they claim they do, you could potentially give them, a, you know, even, a, I mean, considering China, you could give them a chance to really push their missile development programs where when you, if, if there's ever, you know, a time where there's a direct confrontation, it's going to be, it's not, it's, you know, 
it's it, those missiles are very dangerous. Let's just put it that. Um, and like Hassan said, it's very surprising that the United States hasn't been able to develop one. But at the same time, I mean, honestly, I feel that we have not been putting our defense budget money in the correct places. Exactly, such as technological development. I think we should scale back on deployment and actually like or reserve or something and instead actually put more money and effort really effort into technological development because we have not success we have just been letting the rail as far as we know of course because they probably won't tell the public about some things i think but really we have tested rail guns before yeah and those things can basically become lasers yeah and I think we should invest in that because I don't know. Yeah, we definitely, there, like you said, there should be more investment in new technologies. And I mean, you're basically letting the world pass you by, the tortoise and the hare, basically. I mean, after the Cold War. And they're not going to stop and wait under it. Exactly. We are stopping and waiting under a tree. Exactly. And what happens is, I mean, you, you get out of the Cold War. You guys are the United States is like, you know what? We're the best in the world. We basically we won the space race. We had the most powerful. We we, we basically the, the United States is basically looking at it like, guys, we're the most powerful ever. We got this. We really don't need to develop a lot right now with technology. We're we're basically at the top of our game, and that really is a big mistake because looking at it, you had China at that time wasn't as developed as it is now, but it was speeding. It was literally on freaking light uh, hyperspace. Um, if you take it at that um, uh, with technology and now it's become a formidable technological competitor. And you see with that with hypersonic missiles. And even when you take a look at what Yishan said about rail guns, very dangerous weapons in the United States isn't really it's, it's not like they're, and, and, and I'm telling you, you know, it's not really, nobody wants war. But like, still, I mean, I wouldn't let, I mean, the, the, you, you could have advanced so much, but you didn't. And that's the thing literally, I don't really get. Literally, rail guns, the projectile speed is 5,500 miles per hour. Yeah, yeah crazy stuff right there and i mean even i mean like you like even yeah it's just so dangerous and you're and of course you don't want to invest in basically i mean you take a look at nuclear weapons the fastest projectile possible is a rail gun i mean we need to be developing more innovative technologies to counter missiles because honestly but I think here's this fear. If we develop something that has the capability to evolve into an anti-nuclear weapon device, that can cause nuclear weapons to become useless and then their deterrent factor is not there. So maybe if we do that, that we could actually revert war back to the 19th or 20th century before exactly. nuclear weapons to the but point exactly. that it's not even scary. Yeah. But in the point there, it, it's like you had basically World War One starting, 
and you had some people romanticizing the idea of war like yeah we'll come back as you know war heroes and so then you get into the war and it's carnage world war one was a whole bloodbath so violent so then when you get out you get out of the war boom you have world war ii now and it's all you know you take and then you had the cold war with proxy wars basically the united states and the cold war uh, not the cold war but the united states and the soviet union trying to avoid direct confrontation but trying to finance you know communists and capitalist states all over the world really trying to compete with each other without actually actually directly having a war um and like he sean said without making nuclear weapons totally you know, almost, I, I like to say it, you know, it, it basically useless. It could, it could stop that fearful factor, um, you know, yeah. nuclear weapons. But at the same time, you could be also encouraging. I mean, you, there, there could be also more, you, you could be encouraging more direct confrontation between countries. I mean, and, and it's, it's a really tricky subject because you want to develop stuff, weapons to stop other countries from attacking you. But at the same time, you're developing stuff that, you know, what war kills. And you you have all these missiles, rail guns, all that type of stuff that can literally just, just you know, cause major destruction. Yeah, so and, that's perhaps why, but... Yeah. It's mainly a debate between do you want possibly more war but less nuclear destruction or no pos- probably no war but no nuclear destruction but if there were to be war there's nuclear destruction there is nuclear destruction which that is really the argument here and so it's maybe, been the argument maybe all for... the governments in the world are secretly developing things and not saying it so that there's still a different factor among the populations at least I don't mm-hmm. know. And, and really, I mean, it's been a real argument since even the 1950s and everything else. Before I mean, that, it's been an di- argument since it, the concept itself. I'm saying in terms of know. nuclear weapons, though, in terms of nuclear weapons. Not, that's true. I mean, if you took like the Tsar, um, the Tsar of oh. Russia, before World War I started, he literally had a whole conference with major Western European powers. And I think even the United States sent an envoy there and he wanted to, you know, make basically create something similar to the, what is now, you know, the United Nations basically just stop war. I mean, he saw what happened with you. I mean, you saw what happened with Napoleon, basically almost taking over all of continental Europe. Um, and then you had, you had, you know, the carnage of the American civil war. And it kind of built up to that point where you have World War One, World War Two, and all these other, uh, 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 you know, resulting wars. And, and you have that real debate between do we really want war and destruction or do we not want war and destruction, but develop things that could cause war and destruction. And like if there is a war and there's destruction, it's going to basically wipe out most of us, which comes into play with nuclear weapons. Like yes, and that's said. like the ultimate debate with this military yeah. technology trend, which really ties back to what we started with with North Korea, which is like now there's probably not going to be a war, but what's stopping North Korea from just nuking everything? From nuking everybody. 
and really, like you said, I mean, if you take, I think a good example of this entire debate is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah. You, Rush, Russia, in, in Cuba, literally only not too far off of uh, the Florida coast. Yeah. That could have been a whole domino effect where you could have a World War Three, which could cause a nuclear, basically, there's pretty guaranteed that somebody's going to use nuclear weapons. And you had the point where you're like, do we really want to cause an almost total just what nuclear wasteland? Do we just really, do we really want to do that? I mean, even, even, even though we, 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 we may not necessarily like the Russians at all, or maybe the Russians don't like us. Do we really want to destroy our own livelihood in the process? Because if you use nuclear weapons, you kind of know that they're going to some the power that you're using nuclear weapons against is most likely and it's pretty guaranteed that they're going to use them back, which means there's really no avoiding it. Your your capital or most of your country is going to be destroyed. And do we really want to do that? But at the same time, you have that counter debate like you was talking about. Do we want to build stuff to prevent something like that from happening? But at the same time, do we want to do something so we're, we can strike back if, you know, for example, China attacks the United States, which highly unlikely, but that, the, the, you know, that, that stuff that's going through the minds of people right now. And it's really a real existential question. And um, I mean, look, going back to Korea, do they really want to destroy their own livelihood with these yeah. missiles? Exactly. I don't think so. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't really think they would want to do that. I mean, unless you are a total lunatic, I don't think you want to do that. I mean, yeah. I, I, unless you want to see the whole world burn, I don't think you want to do that. And I don't think the North Koreans would necessarily want to do that. So right now, I think with missile testing with them, it's more so... Maybe they want to show the United States and everybody else, you guys shouldn't really mess with us because we have nuclear weapons too. And maybe we have, maybe if even though it's highly unlikely, we claim that we have hypersonic missiles and IC and uh, you know, ICBMs and stuff. And, and, and really you kind of and also Kim Jong-un with his missile test with Japan, you know, I think he really knows how to push people's buttons with that. I mean, he knows how to get the Japanese very angry and the South Koreans very angry. So I think, you know, he's kind of sprinkling that around. I mean, I don't, and China definitely doesn't want something where it's a nuclear war. China definitely doesn't want that. They've just started building up everything. And I don't think they want to destroy it all in that way. And, and, and totally, you know, just destroy everything. So, yeah. Uh, like I said, a very tricky subject. Um, you know, I'm sorry to go on the, the, the whole thing with that particular question, but right. it's very important. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But yeah, do you have anything to add, Isan? Uh, not really that much. I mean, it's just like a general trend and debate among like military innovation with like missile technology, what properties it can really have, not in just like the military sphere, but more in like a psychological aspect with international relations. So I think that's something that has been a important question for the past century 
um, since missile technology really became mainstream. So, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to the yeah. Sports Talk Diplomacy podcast. Um, please tune in for the next episode. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.